welcome back to this week's winners on 88.3 FM, WXO. Aronic, a cross feather, Pierre Gasly wins the Italian Grand Prix. Oh my, oh my, is that just wonderful? The answer, yes! James Harden, a deep shot. That ball is gone over the bushes. A two-run shot, his first as a Tiger. The world championship record is equals. Lewis Hamilton wins the Turkish Grand Prix and is a seven-time champion of the world. Christopher Bell scores his first career win, and it comes on the day court. Jokic a chance to tie it. Oh, Jokic hits it. Looking for a second short-handed goal. In his very nice. And shot scores! What a goal! Through his own legs! Five seconds left in the game. You believe in miracles? Yes! I stayed in my head. What is going on, everybody? My name is Benny, and welcome to a little show I like to call This Week's Winners on 88.3 FM WXOU. So glad you could be with me. It is a wonderful Monday, but of course, it is always a wonderful day to talk about sports. Follow me on Twitter at TWW Sports, uh, where you can see all my up-to-date reactions and opinions, ask me questions, or just follow along. We have a ton to talk about today. From Lewis Hamilton taking out Verstappen in the opening lap of the British Grand Prix, to Devin Booker's costly turnover that snapped the heart of Suns fans everywhere in Game 5. Uh, we've got it all right here on this week's winner, so stick around until the end. While a lot of the exciting news did occur in motorsports or with the NBA, we will actually start with the NHL because there has been some expansion draft chaos the past couple of days. It has been ridiculous. We now know who teams are protecting and who teams are leaving vulnerable to the Seattle Kraken. There are a lot of great forwards available for Seattle, of course. There are a lot of solid D to get a core established for them. There's a lot of surprises, and there's obviously that player that really isn't so surprising to see on the list. Uh, we'll talk about the majority of them here, and we'll talk about why teams have planned to keep some protected and others not. We'll start, though, by talking about trades, because there have been some pretty crazy and surprising trades in the past couple of nights, really just on that one day where the roster freeze took place. Uh, we'll start with the Flyers acquiring Ryan Ellis, a very, very good defenseman from the Predators for Philippe Myers. And they did get Nolan Patrick in the deal as well, but they would ship off Nolan Patrick for Cody Glass from the Golden Knights. So this was probably one of the largest, most blockbuster trades of the day. And I think Nolan Patrick will probably fit in pretty well with the Golden Knights. But you really got to wonder if the Knights are going to end up regretting this in the same way they, they regret letting Nick Suzuki go now because uh, I think all three of the first round picks they had from their expansion season are now all gone. So to me, I don't know, Nolan Patrick, obviously, when he came into the league, it, you know, it was that whole debacle on who's going to go first. Is it going to be Nico Heischer or is it going to be Nolan Patrick? So they were two great players, but in my opinion, neither one of them has really turned out the way that you would hope. But Nolan Patrick has been good. He's had some injury trouble already, same as Nico Heischer. But uh, for Nolan Patrick, 
going to the Golden Knights. He will fit in well there, but is he better than Cody Glass? Does he have a wider upside than Cody Glass? I personally enjoyed watching Cody Glass play, but uh, Nolan Patrick, I, I think it's hard it's hard to say that he is a downgrade. I think that he has the upside, and I think you know he's got a very, very long future in front of him, the same as Cody Glass. So time will tell if it if it'll work out or not. Um, it is also you can make the argument to say that the Flyers won this trade by getting Ryan Ellis, and I think that Ellis probably stabilizes a, a struggling Flyers defense. So hopefully. Provorov has a better year, but I think that it's hard to go wrong picking up a guy like Ryan Ellis. And if you're the Predators, you traded probably one of your best defensemen for uh, Cody Glass is pretty much what you got out of it. You got Philippe Myers, too, who's a defenseman who you can replace, and we'll see how he can develop with them. But I think it's tough to say that the Flyers got a short end of the deal on this because they, they got a very good defenseman uh, for pretty much n- not a whole lot because Nolan Patrick wasn't doing a ton for them. Uh, of course, no one really was last year when, you know, missing the playoffs and, and when a lot of people anticipated you to uh, have a deep run, but it's hard for the Flyers in the last decade to have found that stability where they are just good Remember, they, they've had like 10 or so years where they make the playoffs and then they follow the next year by not making the playoffs. And it's a weird streak. You don't usually see teams like that. So we'll see how uh, having Ryan Ellis will affect them. And I, I think the Golden Knights will do very well with Nolan Patrick as well, but we'll have to see. And we won't have to wait too long now because it's you know nearing the end of July and then August will go, go by with a breeze and we'll be able to start seeing training camp and everything, how these players are going to look with their new teams. So another trade that happened that um, I see a lot of people making a lot of jokes about, and I've said my fair share of jokes about it as well, but the, the Coyotes, Arizona, have gotten Andrew Ladd, a 2021 second-round pick a 2022 conditional second-round pick. Not sure what the conditions on either of these picks are, but there's also a 2023 conditional third-round pick. So you get a player and you get a second-round pick, well, two second-round picks, really, and a third at least for nothing. They give up nothing. The Islanders gave them nothing. They just gave them all that. Uh, obviously, it's to offload Andrew Ladd's contract, but man, they they really gave up a, a lot of picks to get rid of that contract. <laughs> I'm a bit surprised that you know Arizona's had a, a couple instances where they where they've done this too. Um, I, I don't think we gave up quite as much, but when Detroit traded Pavel Datsuk's contract to Arizona, uh, they only had to give up a couple picks as well, but I don't think they gave up more than two. So it, Arizona's done this a couple times in the past, and I, it doesn't affect them in any way. I mean, they get those three picks for, for nothing. So just to take on a contract where I don't believe Arizona's in any immediate danger with the salary cap. So it's a, a very smart pickup, a very decent trade, and um, a lot of the context that you're probably going to see in some of these trades are, are either coming down to salary cap issues or they're going to be players that they'd probably lose for nothing in the expansion draft coming up this week. Another trade we have here is the New York Rangers acquiring Nick DeSimeon at a 2022 fourth-round pick from the Golden Knights for Brett Howden. Uh, I think Howden will probably fit in as a bottom-pairing defenseman for the Knights. This is one of the more minor trades where, you know, the implications of this aren't going to be very tall. And, and, you know, both the teams 
can gain a little from it and lose a little from it, I guess, you know, with uh, Nick DeSimeon. I, I don't know much about him or, or how he's going to develop. Uh, and then a fourth-round pick from the Knights for next year, and then they get Brett Howden out of it, who I, I think was off to a bit of a rocky start with the Rangers, so he gets a little change in scenery, so we'll see how he can do with the Knights. And then a trade that I talked highly about on Twitter was the Rangers acquiring Barclay Goudreau from the Lightning for a 2022 seventh-round pick. And I loved this trade when it happened, right? I thought it was probably one of the better ones of the day because you gave up such a little piece, a seventh-round pick in next year's draft, and and really in any draft uh, these days, uh, a seventh-round pick isn't going to pan out to the best that it could, right? And you get Barclay Goudreau, who was a very good four-checker and very good on that bottom six. You know, you can really put him anywhere. He's, He's one of those Swiss Army knife kind of players where he can play pretty well in any spot, primarily, you know, on that third line or fourth line where you're going to have a grind line because he's such a good four-checker. And I loved the deal at the time. And now I read this morning that the Rangers plan to sign him to a six-year deal at $3.6 million a season, average annual anyway. I don't know what the specifics are per season, but 3.6 average annual salary. That's not a good deal. That that That's such an overpayment. And, and it, it opens a whole bag of worms, too. Because you look at Toronto's issue right now with Zach Hyman, and Zach Hyman, you know, wanting not far off from that. Zach Hyman is night and day above where Barclay Goudreau's at, in my opinion. And it opens the door for Hyman to say, well, this guy, look at it, he's getting this. So why can't, you know, why can't I get that kind of money? And, and it's, it, we've seen so many bad contracts in the recent past that it's like these people, these GMs want us to head towards another lockout because these, they're horrible. Uh, I really do like Barclay Goudreau, and I think he's a great player. But uh, there, it, it, I'm hard-pressed to believe that 3.6 is the right number for him. In fact, I, I'll bet every lucky star I have that that's not a good contract and that most people would agree that's not a good contract. 3.6 is pretty brutal. So uh, I liked the fact that they picked him up, but... Uh, unless they plan to play him on the in the top six, that's just not a very good deal. If you're the Lightning, though, uh, this shows the, the problem that they're in where uh, they don't have any cap space to keep their depth players if they want to keep their, their star players anyway. So, yeah, I mean, Goudreau is a, a great player and a good pickup for New York when, when they their bottom six really struggled this past year. But... Yeah, 3.6 is... I'm not going to waver on that. That's uh, that's an overpayment. A vast overpayment. Another trade we have. Toronto Maple Leafs got Jared McCann from the Pittsburgh Penguins for uh, Philip Hollander and a 2023 7th round pick. Uh, so it's an interesting trade. Uh, Philip Hollander never played a game with Toronto, and he's actually a draft pick from the Pittsburgh Penguins from, I think, 2018 or 2019, uh, who they traded to get Kasperi Kapanen from the Toronto Maple Leafs, who was ironically a Pittsburgh Penguins prospect that went over in the Phil Kessel deal. So uh, it's just a theme for the Penguins, I guess, to, to trade away one of their prospects, and then a couple of years later be like, oh, wait, no, actually, we want him back. Um, in all seriousness, though, I think it is a a low-risk move for the Penguins because they probably weren't going to be able to protect Jared McCann in the expansion draft. So they were like, man, like we got to kind of put something together here to get something for Jared McCann because otherwise, you know, losing him for nothing kind of stinks. 
But I think it was smart to go with a prospect that they obviously know something about. It's their prospect that they drafted, so at least they know something about uh, Philip Hollander. And then they gave up a seventh-round pick as well, or got a seventh-round pick as well. So uh, I think it's a, a low-risk move. If you're the Penguins, obviously you wanted to keep Jared McCann because he, he was a, a very good player for them last year. But ultimately, they choked in the playoffs. So you got to make changes. So it's part of the changes that I, that I knew they would make. So uh, he's And he's going to be great on Toronto, I would say. But then Toronto exposed him. So they, they traded for McCann. They, they, my opinion on this is that they probably have a deal lined up where they're going to say, hey, Seattle, uh, we'll give you something, a little something in return. If you don't take Jared McCann, please take Zach Hyman is kind of what I, I assume they're going to do. Uh, or, you know, someone of the likes, but they're, they don't, obviously don't want them to take McCann, who they just traded a prospect in a seventh-round pick for. So, very interesting if you're Toronto to leave him exposed. I, I don't know why they did that, but got to do what you got to do, I guess. The San Jose Sharks acquired Aiden Hill, a 2022 seventh-round draft pick from the Coyotes for Joseph uh, Coroner and a 2022 second-round pick. This is a goalie swap. It's not really a high-risk trade. It's a you know very low chance that anything goes wrong for either of these teams by picking up who they picked up. Uh, I don't think Aiden Hill was going to become anything spectacular. Uh, same with Joseph Carner. Uh, you know, I, I think it's a... Insignificant trade in the in the grand scheme of things, but just a goalie swap. Uh, the Vancouver Canucks acquired Jason Dickinson from the Dallas Stars for a 2021 third-round pick. I believe Dickinson was another player that probably would have been lost for nothing had he uh, not been traded. I don't think they were going to be able to protect him. He's a he's a good depth piece for the Canucks and the Canucks as we saw in this season need uh a little bit more stability in their bottom 9 really, not even just bottom 6, but they they need some more depth to help out Pedersen and and Besser. So I I think that they'll be all right. Uh with the pickup, I think Dickinson will be a solid addition, but uh, the Canucks have a lot more that they need to add, especially on defense, before they're going to be super competitive. And the last trade to talk about is one made by our very own Detroit Red Wings. So the Red Wings trade uh, the 51st overall draft pick, a second-round pick, and Richard Panic to the New York Islanders for Nick Letty. So, personally, I, I, I can't find issue with this trade. I think this is a very, very good trade. Uh, I, I think Letty's going to be very key, very instrumental in teaching our, our young defensive core, you know, to develop. You think about how young our D is now with uh, Gustav Lidstrom being protected. So we're going with him. We might lose Stetcher. We're probably going to lose Stetcher in the expansion draft. And you look at Heronic, how he's developed so well, you know. I, I find it very hard to believe that Nick Letty won't take these guys under his wing and teach them everything there is to know. And he plays a great, great defensive style. He played with the New York Islanders, who were among the best defensive teams in the NHL last year. And he knows how to really bite into a system and, and learn a system better than anyone. He is a phenomenal pickup for the Detroit Red Wings. And if you look at it, if, if Steve Eiserman's not, you know, super impressed with him or, or he's way impressed with him and, and thinks that he's a great player, whichever end of the spectrum he's on, he's going to be great trade bait at the trade deadline this year. So you picked him up. 
for Richard Panic and a second round pick. And now if he doesn't pan out or he pans out amazingly, you can trade him for a lot or you can, you know, unload him at the trade deadline because defensemen are always sought out at the trade deadline. I think the the main problem with this trade that most people have is that it, we gave up a second round pick to get him. And I'll say what, I, what I've said a couple times on, on this show is that whether it's a, everything after the first round, even the first round, you know, it's just been recent where, you know, people have really come to the consensus that the first overall pick is going to be Owen Powers. But we don't know that. It could be anyone. You know, it, this draft is a guessing game. There hasn't been a lot of scouts out there during the pandemic watching these players play. In fact, a lot of these players haven't been playing. Their leagues have been halted. So, you know, you go back to film from a year or two ago. You, you think about your notes you have on these players from a year or two ago. And you can look at those, but in the grand scheme of things, you don't really know if these players are what they have to offer. So, you know, you could get players being picked in the fifth round that are, you know, incredible talents, you know. You can get pl- players that go in the first round that will never skate in the NHL. It's a guessing game. You really don't know who's going to go where, why they're going to go there. These, you know, it's a, it's a guess, you know. Obviously, that's an exaggeration because these teams, you know, have tremendous amount of, of power and what they can do to find out about these players, right? So these notes are so extensive that it's not quite as much of a guessing game as you'd think. But at the same time, I mean. It's been a year where you really haven't got to see these kids in action. So you don't know for sure what they're going to be, how they're going to turn out. So a second round pick, the 51st overall pick, I I have a hard time believing. Not to mention we had three of them. We traded away one of three. It doesn't really matter. We still have two more of them to try and get that guessing game right. I think it's all right. It definitely is all right. So, and Nick Letty, I think, is slightly overpaid. I think he's got about $5.5 million average annual salary, which isn't horrible. I mean, it's not an awful trade, but it doesn't matter if he's slightly overpaid because we have the most cap space out of any team besides Seattle. Nick Letty had 31 points last year. Not, and not only that, but he, he had time on the power play with New York. So he can come here and he can teach our defensemen how to play on the power play. Because if you'll recall, in the last season or two, our power play, specifically the defense on the power play, does not know what they're doing. It looks pretty brutal. So hopefully he can come over here and he can clean some of that up. I like the trade. I I think it's a great trade. I think he's going to help the Detroit Red Wings. So... Uh, With all those trades made, it shook things up a little bit. But the question now becomes, who will Seattle pick from the teams? Who will they pick? They get to pick one player. A big, scary monster gets to come and steal one player from every team in the league besides the Vegas Knights. Can we talk about how awful that is, too, by the way? That the Vegas Knights are... A juggernaut right now. They've made the comp like the they've been one of the final four teams in, in what four of their first seasons. So they they're they're ridiculous, right? They've been to the Stanley Cup Finals already, which is more than you can say about you know like the Columbus Blue Jackets. And now they don't even have to give up one of their players. They don't have to worry about you know who are they going to protect, who are they not going to protect, right? They just get to feast on these teams that are trying to make trades, you know, to protect some of their players because they don't have to worry about it. They're like, yeah, we don't got to protect anyone, so we'll take these players that you're worried about, get nothing for, you know. I think that's tough for a lot of the GMs to swallow. And it made sense at the time because everyone thought Vegas was going to be horrible. I don't think we're going to make the same mistake twice. I don't think that anyone thinks Seattle is going to be horrible especially when you really get to looking at the list set at who they can pick up. So let's talk about who they might pick up. From the Anaheim Ducks, uh, 
I think that they're probably going to take I'd say Ryan Getzlaff, he's a little on the older side. They're they're a team where they didn't really have the best season, but you know, they still got some valuable players, whether that be Hayden Fleury or, or Kevin Shattenkirk that you can pick up. I think they'll probably take Ryan Getzlaff, maybe Sonny Milano. For the Arizona Coyotes. Uh, I think you're probably looking at either Alex Goligoski or Derek Brassard being lost there. They're kind of in the same boat. I mean, they're kind of always in the same boat where they didn't have the best season last year. So, you know, who who do you really take? And then you look at the Boston Bruins. Uh, so a lot of people are like, oh, they left Taylor Hall available, right? And they're like, it's a no-brainer. You go with Taylor Hall. Uh, you got to remember that he's a he's a UFA. So even if you take him, he he might not sign with your team. You know he can he can honestly go right back to the Boston Bruins and sign with them. So there's little to gain by picking up a, a player whose contract's up. And I think uh, that's a mistake a lot of people make. You know, and I, I've uh, I've played a lot of franchise mode in uh, NHL. And I'll be like, oh, they left this guy available. I'll pick him up, and then they won't sign with me because they'll, they'll be like, I want to win now, so I'm not signing with you. It's, uh, it's kind of the same thought process in real life, which is kind of funny. For Buffalo, I mean, <laughs> this this one was really hard because we all know how Buffalo was last year. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, who do you pick from there? I mean, Jeff Skinner maybe, Uh Maybe Riley Shahan, Cody Eakin. That's about all I could see. I mean, who else would you really want from Buffalo? Uh, I'm not certain. Calgary Flames, uh, I think the consensus is probably that they're going to want to go with Mark Giordano. Uh, I have a hard time believing that they, they want because he's a phenomenal defenseman. He's a little on the older side, but he is a great, great defenseman. Uh, from Carolina... Uh, you're probably going to be looking at uh, Nino Niederreier, maybe Jake Bean. Uh, Jake Bean is, I think he's very underrated. Uh, he had a great season. I think he was fun to watch in the playoffs. Um, he's developing well. Uh, so I think, you know, if you don't go with Nino Niederreier, you want to go with a, a young defenseman. I think you go with Jake Bean. Uh, the Chicago Blackhawks, uh, they're in a pretty tough position as well where you know, you look at, at who they have available, and, I mean, who do you pick out of that? I'd say probably Adam Gaudet or Malcolm Subban. And, and that's even up in the air where you're like, man, maybe Nikita Zadorov, but I think he might have a contract expiring this year as well. Uh, for Colorado, uh, probably uh, Brandon Saad or, or Jonas Donskoy. I think the Colorado Avalanche are in a position where they, you know, majority of their good players, they're going to be able to protect. And those who they're not, it just so happened that Gabriel Landeskog's contract ended this year, so they can re-sign him after all of this madness is done. Uh, maybe you pick up someone like JT Comfer. Maybe you pick up Pierre Edmer, Ed, Edward Belmar, but... It's hard to say. Or maybe you go with a goalie, maybe you go with Devin Dubnik, but I, I think they have some better goaltending opportunities elsewhere. Uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets, uh, really, the, it's a no-brainer that you go with Max Domi, who it, it was, it's a wonder that they left him exposed. Uh, I guess the upper management hasn't been too happy with how he's you know been performing. I think he's a, a great talent, and it's hard for me to believe that he didn't get or protected over you know some of the guys that they protected so uh the Dallas Stars uh from them you probably take someone like Andrew Cogliano or Ben Bishop even I guess but he didn't play at all last year because of injury uh maybe you go the defensive route and you pick uh Jamie Alexiak who's a very tall defenseman one of the tallest in the league, so could go with him. Uh, now we get to the Red Wings where, uh, you know, I think a lot of Wings fans are, are worried about who they're 
going to pick because we're at the point where a lot of the guys available are, are vets who have been with the team for a super long time. So uh, you look at, you know, Philpola's available, Glenn Denning's available, Helm, Evgeny uh, Shveshnikov's available, Denis Shalowski, Danny DeKaiser. You know, in a perfect world, you know, someone like Mark Stahl's going or Christian Juice, Alex Biega. But it's probably more likely that we're going to see a guy like Vladislav Nemestikov, Sveshnikov maybe, Denis Shalowski. Most likely, though, is Troy Stetcher. Uh, I, I said earlier, I, I really think that Troy Stetcher is a phenomenal, phenomenal defenseman. And, and it's hard-pressed for me to find a, a better player on that list than him. Maybe Jonathan Bernier, but, I mean, do they really want to pick pick up Bernier. I, I think he's a UFA as well, too, if not this year, then next year. So uh, I think you're probably going to want to go with Troy Stetcher. He's the best player on that roster available. It's a wonder to me that Iserman protected Gustav Lidstrom over him, uh, but it's that's not a super surprise. It's just like, a, huh, I wonder why he did that. Uh, it shows that Lidstrom really has taken a huge step forward in the past couple of years, and we're going to be depending on him a little bit more. So uh, I'm fine with it, but yeah, it's it's going to most likely be Troy Stetcher. So then you head on to the Edmonton Oilers, where you have a couple players where you kind of look at whether it be Kyle Turris or uh, Tyler Ennis. I'd say James Neal would be a good one. He was picked in the Vegas Golden Knights expansion, and he was great in their first season, and then since then has kind of regressed to the point where he's really a non-factor in the league now. But, uh, you know, Adam Larson, Oscar Kleffbaum, Miko Koskinen, all available from the Edmonton Oilers. And uh, if you're the Oilers and you have that tremendous failure that you had in the playoffs against the Jets, you got to wonder, you know, whoever they pick, you, you can't really complain about because you need some serious changes there. Uh, for the Florida Panthers, I think uh, there's been a couple stories where they've said it's almost all but confirmed that Chris Drieger is going to be going over there. He's a great goaltender, great young prospect, played great in the playoffs, I thought. So I think it's a good deal for Seattle anyway. If you're Florida... You know, you really hope that Sergei Bobrovsky starts playing a little better if that's the instance. But you also have the uh, your your young gun in, in Knight, who I think got I think he might have even gotten a start in the playoffs where he played pretty good. So uh, not all bad for Florida. They got three goaltenders that you know are pretty good. You know, Sergei Bobrovsky obviously hasn't panned out the way they've wanted, but I think they'll be all right if they lose Drager. For the LA Kings, so uh, this is where you get, like, there's a couple of pretty good goaltenders available, and among them is Jonathan Quick, but you really have to, you know, look at it where sources can look at it and say, hey, look, Jonathan Quick's available, they're probably going to pick him. How good has he really played in the last five years? And, you know, he's amazing. He's a great American goaltender, and, and I'll always love him for that reason, you know, that I remember playing as the United States team on the NHL games in like 2015 and 16, and he was like the best goaltender in the game. But I really do not think he's a goaltender that Seattle wants. Not even, you know, obviously he's not a backup goaltender, so I don't see him leaving the LA Kings. But you look at players like uh, Ali Mata available, I, I see them probably going with him as, as like a depth defenseman, seventh defenseman type deal and then you look at the Minnesota Wild and uh, you have probably Capo Kakinen who's available I think you probably go with him uh, I don't think there's really anyone else worth going with maybe Victor Rask Nick Bukestad maybe and for the Montreal Canadiens was the biggest shock I think to a lot of people <laughs> Uh, is you have Carey Price available after he, you know, personally carried that team to the playoffs. 
obviously, you know, there's the question of, of will he be healthy next season? And uh, most people think he's probably not going to be able to play next season, but you also have players like Shea Weber available, John Merrill, Tomash Tatar is available, former Red Wing. Uh, I They really didn't utilize Tatar at all the you know towards the end of that year and not at all during the playoffs. He's a player that was you know, instrumental for the Knights once he went to the Knights, I believe, in their expansion season as well. So uh, it's hard to say that they wouldn't go with Carey Price when he's available because he's a great goaltender. The question just is, you know, will he be healthy or not? So for the Nashville Predators, uh, probably Matt Duchesne, Ryan Johansson. That's probably all I could see from there. The New Jersey Devils, you have P.K. Subban available, Will Butcher available too. I would probably go with Will Butcher. The New York Islanders uh, exposed Everlay and Josh Bailey, so one of those two will probably be picked. Uh, the New York Rangers, Keith Kincaid probably. Uh, they're another team where you know a lot of their guys are not going to be available to be picked that you'd really want. They... they did, I believe, expose Barclay Goudreau, but I, I doubt he's going to be picked. The Ottawa Senators, uh, this is another goalie-type instance where Matt Murray is available, and he's you know a two-time Stanley Cup champion, and he's under the age of 25, I believe, so it'd be hard-pressed to not pick him. I don't see why you wouldn't. And then uh, Flyers, you're probably going to take Jakob Voracek, I think he's their best player available. The Pittsburgh Penguins uh, exposed Jason Zucker and Brendan Tanev. I think that you probably go with Brendan Tanev because he's very similar to Jason Zucker, but he is cheaper. And then San Jose, I see Marcus Sorensen or Martin Jones being picked up. One of the uh, bigger bombshells as well came from St. Louis as, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, Vladimir Tarasenko said that he doesn't really want to be with uh, St. Louis anymore. And so uh, it, rather than trading him, the San o or the St. Louis Blues had exposed Vladimir Tarasenko in the expansion draft. And I, I find it hard to believe that Seattle doesn't take Tarasenko. And so St. Louis pretty much loses him for nothing. Tampa Bay is an interesting team. Uh, they have a lot, a lot, a lot of their key guys available, like Yanni Gord, Andre Palat, Alex Kalorn, Tyler Johnson. It's very tough. This is one of the teams where you look at and you're like, man, this is a decision that I really like because you can't really go wrong. You have so many players available because you know, Tampa had so many players because, you know, they had a little bit more cap space at the end of the season. So, all jokes aside, I mean, you probably, it comes down to Yanni Gord or Tyler Johnson, I believe. Uh, Andre Palat, who I believe is probably one of the most underrated players in the NHL, could go, but if you're looking for a guy, you know, for your mid-six, you're probably going to be looking Yanni Gord or Tyler Johnson's way. And if you're a Red Wings fan, whichever player doesn't go there, you got to be looking at maybe Steve Eiserman wants to take him up because Tampa's going to be desperate to be getting below that ta that cap by the end of the season. For Toronto, uh, you look at the guys they, they exposed, which one of them was Jared McCann, as I said, which kind of surprised me. Uh, you probably look at either Alex Kerfoot, Jared McCann, or Jason Spezza being picked. I doubt Spezza would go, but uh, definitely Kerfoot or McCann. And like I said, they're probably going to make a deal where they're like, please take Kerfoot. So uh, the Vancouver Canucks, uh, probably Braden Holtby. Uh, I, I'd be hard-pressed to say, you know, that there's a better goaltending tandem than Carey Price and Braden Holtby. That'd be a very, very good opening year goaltending duo. But, of course, if they didn't go goaltending, there's Jake Furtanen and uh, Louis Erickson. So. 
And then the Washington Capitals, uh, Justin Schultz, I think, is the clear option. Uh, Winnipeg Jets, uh, probably either Paul Statsny or Dylan DeMello. Yeah, probably one of those two. It's going to be interesting to see uh, who they all pick in the expansion draft coming up here this week. Also, we have the regular draft coming up this week on Friday as well. So, nobody really knows what's going to happen as far as either of the drafts go. We know who now with the lists that have been, you know, released, who is protected, who's not protected. Uh, if you want to see more of what I have to say on that, you can always follow me on Twitter at TWWSports. My winner of the week for the NHL is, of course, the Seattle Kraken. So they have a lot of players to choose from that are pretty good. Uh, they're going to have a pretty good team in their first year, much like Vegas did. So I can't wait for them to get cracking this year. So we'll shift gears here in the last 20 minutes of the show. We'll talk about the NBA here for a little bit. So uh, the score of the series is a lot different than it was last time we talked. It is now 3-2. to two in favor of the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, Milwaukee has absolutely charged uh, to their three straight wins. Middleton has been absolutely unbelievable, especially Game 4, 40 points for him. Uh, And in Game 4, Giannis only had 26 points and 14 rebounds. I say only, but of course that was a great game. And if you are Devin Booker with 42 points, you really didn't have any help. In game four, where, you know, a game where you're playing pretty good, and I think the closest player to him had 16 or 17 points, that being Chris Paul. So uh, it's, I think it's tough to swallow if you're the Suns or Suns fans that, you know, this team really has grinded their way back into this series and now are ahead in this series. And game five was a great, great basketball game. One of the, the best I've seen. And everyone was like, man, two boring teams in the final. And I think that's just people being used to a LeBron or Curry team being in the finals. Uh, I think this was a very entertaining game. Game five was had a little bit of it all. Uh, I think that the better team won that, you know, Milwaukee had their big three all clicking together. Reminded me of of when Brooklyn had their big three going, you know, in the early part of the playoffs, you know. Milwaukee just looked very, very good with, you know, Giannis having 32 points in Game 5, and including that huge, you know, final dunk play that we'll get to in a minute. Uh, Middleton and Holiday, I think Holiday had his best game of the postseason by far. But Middleton had 29 points, and Holiday had 27 points. And, and when you have that kind of help, it's a wonder how this game was quite as close as it was. And part of that is because Devin Booker had 40 points. Chris Paul had about had 21 points. But if you're Booker, I mean, you had 40 points, but you also had a absolutely brutal turnover that pretty much ended the game. And credit to the Suns because the Phoenix really clawed their way back into this game in the final, like, minute and a half. I think everyone was holding their breath because it was a dramatic, you know, final two minutes. You had Giannis with a a handful of penalty shots there at the end where the crowd's chanting, you know, counting his wait time as he waits to shoot as always but you fouled him a lot in the final and it worked out well he missed quite a few of them and they clawed back into this game Chris Paul had a great three towards the end they I think they they came within three and then I think they they came within one too because I think they got a layup so they're down by one with like 30 seconds to go maybe probably even less and they get a rebound and they they head the other way and it's easy to say in hindsight you know he should have done this he should have done that but he drove to the middle and and covered up and then just turned it over with with no one back 
and if it goes another way, you know, and, and you even get those two points, then, you know, you're up in these, you know, wavering seconds. You really have a chance. But uh, instead, it goes the other way, and Middleton throws it up, and uh, Giannis wasn't going to miss that. I mean, he it was a, a heck of a dunk for him, and he stares down the camera, and then, of course, uh, it was all over from there. They, they took, a, uh, I think, a late foul as well that gave uh, Giannis the, the one extra point that he needed, so they had a four-point lead with, like, nine seconds to go, and that was all she wrote for the Suns. So I think Booker was just kind of trying to do a little too much at the end. I don't think they're out of this. You know, a lot of people are like, it's going back to Milwaukee, they're going to win it in six. I I don't know. I'm not going to say that they win in six, but it's a close series. I think it's entertaining, more entertaining than most say. Uh, but, yeah, the Bucks take that 123-119 to 119 win, and they've looked great, you know, since game two where I think they looked pretty sloppy. They've looked good, and they, they came out, and they did what I said last week. Until a team wins on the road, the series doesn't really start. And they came out and they took it to the Suns on the road and and probably had their, their best game as a team. So we'll see if the Bucks are able to wrap that up in six. Uh, it's hard for me to say. I, I don't really believe they will, but I guess we will see. My winner of the week for the NBA is, of course, the Bucks because they have won three straight games now. They have a chance to win this series, and we will see if they do so in Game 6. So finally, we'll end this thing by talking a little bit about motorsports quickly. We'll try and wrap it up and get to as much as we can here. So in Formula 1... Uh, Lap one chaos. Uh, that's all you can really describe it with. Uh, it was a lap one in the British Grand Prix that saw serious championship implications. It also, you know, had a very, very thrilling finish and a very tough day for Red Bull. So Lewis Hamilton wins the British Grand Prix in front of the home crowd, uh, beating out Charles Leclerc with a late race pass uh, who split the Mercedes with Valtteri Bottas coming in third in fourth Lando Norris after having a, a pretty rough week comes home fourth great showing for Lando in fifth his teammate of Daniel Ricciardo gets his best finish in a McLaren in sixth the other Ferrari of Carlos Sainz then 7th, Fernando Alonso, 8th, Lance Stroll. In 9th, Esteban Ocon. And in 10th, Yuki Sonata. So, a uh, couple things to unbag from that. I think that uh, George Russell, who finished in 12th, could have finished in the points, but he got a grid penalty with yesterday's sprint qualifying, which was something they tried out. A lot of people like it. I, I'm all for more racing, so I don't mind the sprint qualifying. But uh, it saw a little bit of a shakeup where you saw Alonzo race his way into the top 10, and George Russell got a grid penalty for his run-in with Carlos Sainz in the sprint. So he was really never a factor this race to finish in the points, I don't believe. It was a big day from McLaren, who gained a lot of points in the Constructors' Championship. And I think this was by far Daniel Ricciardo's best race. So Verstappen, after this, still leads the championship battle. And Lewis Hamilton is not far behind now. 185 for Verstappen in points, 177 for Hamilton. And Lando Norris jumps up to third as Sergio Perez falls down to fifth. Botas also jumps in front of him. If you're Max Verstappen, you are absolutely furious after getting wrecked by Lewis Hamilton on lap one. But I don't think that you really had a lot of time to be angry at the time because that hurt. The early reports indicate that, that was a 51G hit into the tire barrier that he took. 
Watching live, it looked like he pretty much hopped over the sand pit there at one of the fastest corners on the track. Whether or not it's Lewis Hamilton's fault or not, I think they made the right call by giving him a 10-second time penalty, but it wasn't nearly enough as Lewis was able to race his way right back up there and win the race because he was the fastest car left in the race after he took out the Red Bull, so uh, it was easy to pick them all off, get back up there. If you're Red Bull, you're pretty upset with the result of this with Sergio Perez, you know, spinning and retiring from the sprint race, so he started last. He really wasn't able to recover at all. So Hamilton ran away with this race. It's a lot of people are saying, you know, it's a lot it's pretty easy to win a race when you, you know, wreck your title competitor. And I, I agree with that, but uh I don't think all the fault lays on Lewis Hamilton. I think that both of them were a little at fault in the wreck where Max Verstappen kind of closed down a little bit on him, and Hamilton went up a little bit. Uh, and yeah, I think that Hamilton should have known that he shouldn't have even tried going down the inside at, at that corner where the apex is very, very narrow. Uh, and he's raced at Silverstone, you know, for so long, so many years that I think that he should have known better, but he's desperate. I mean, they've lost you know four races in a row to Red Bull and Max. So it's, they're, they're desperate to try and get in front of that Red Bull, where, where they have better straight-line speed, where they might be able to make something of it in the first lap. And he said it himself that their only chance to win the race was getting in front after lap one. And then, you know, you're fortunate if you're Lewis Hamilton that the race gets red-flagged because it was such a horrendous accident that you're able to just fix your car without, you know, starting last. So it's unfortunate if you're if you're Red Bull. Everything went wrong for you and you know I'm happy that Max walked away uh, but he went to the hospital you know it's it's scary stuff and and Lewis played a part in that so I definitely agree with Red Bull's anger that after the race you know Lewis was really rubbing salt in the wound by his celebration where you know he he's super excited that he won this race you know and he he grabs the british flag and he, he waves around the british flag in front of all of his fans i just i think it, he should have had a little bit of a sour taste you know by how he got there but he, clearly he doesn't think that he played any role in that he doesn't think it was his fault at all and i i think that's unfair and i think that anything goes in the championship battle now i think max if he wants to reciprocate that and act like it's not his fault it's perfectly okay and you know king lewis will probably whine about that but it, it is what it is sometimes they're both trying to go for a championship here and it's really the first title battle that lewis has truly had and and like since his teammate nico rosberg so it's tough and i think they're both at fault but if you're lewis i, I don't think that victory celebration was needed So, finally, we arrive at NASCAR, and uh, a couple notes for this NASCAR race at New Hampshire. So, the race started with rain that was very, very imminent. It was closing in on the racetrack, and uh, they go green, and it starts raining as soon as they go green. Like, seven or eight laps into the race, it starts raining, and it took out the leader, Kyle Busch. He spun and wrecked his car. Martin Truex Jr. hit the wall too. Hamlin spun out. It was just a, a bad call to start the race. It's all there really is to it. It was a bad call to start the race, and it makes the sport look bad again. And it's unfortunate because, as most people are saying, this race was probably one of the better ones of the year, if not the best one of the year. Without the PJ1 there to make it a one-groove racetrack, you know, it, it looked good. Like, it, it was racy. You saw people battling from start to finish. And it had by far the biggest upset of the year at the end. So the top 10 was Eric Almirola, who won the race. Christopher Bell came in second. Brad Keselowski in third. His teammate Joey Logano in fourth. Their other teammate, Ryan Blaney, in fifth. So Penske obviously doing very good in this race. In sixth, Kevin Harvick. In seventh, 
Kyle Larson, who was Hendrick's best car, and they didn't even have close to winning speed this week, which is, you know, in coming weeks is going to be a talking point where Hendrick has really fallen off in the past couple weeks. In eighth was Ross Chastain. He showed very good top 10 speed. In ninth was Alex Bowman, and in 10th, Denny Hamlin. So, Eric Almirola just took the playoff grid and threw it into the garbage. He was in 27th or 28th in points, and he wins this race, so now he's in the playoffs. And a reminder, only 16 teams make the playoffs. So he went from 27th or 28th in points, jumping right up to above 16th, or at least 16th. It, it completely erases a horrible, horrible year for not only him, but for Storhaus Racing, where they're likely going to have at least half of their cars in the playoffs now, with Kevin Harvick probably going to get in on points. I am absolutely shocked. You know, it... it it shows this playoff format can be a little better, you know, when it's not, you know, like Michael McDowell, for example. He's been pretty good on the road courses, and he had the stun win to begin the season in the Daytona 500, right? And you look at that, and Michael McDowell probably isn't in the playoffs if he doesn't win at the Super Speedway, which the only reason he really won was because the leaders wrecked, and you can have stuff like that, right? Well, Eric Almirola didn't, you know, chance his way in on a super speedway. He didn't chance his way in with, you know, a fuel mileage win or a rain-shortened race. I mean, technically it was shortened by, like, five laps, but he raced up and he passed everyone into the lead with a car that was the probably the winning car, and he went and, and took the win on a racetrack that is a driver's racetrack that is very dependent on the skill of the driver. And he went and he just took it. He took the win. So I don't really have a problem with him being in the playoffs. It was a, a great win. I, I mean, credit to him. Like I said, it erases a horrible season. Like, he, he he didn't even have top 15 speed most weeks. You know, and they had horrible luck to begin the season. And now they're in the playoffs. Not to mention that they get this huge boost of confidence from winning that they're probably going to ride for the next couple of weeks. So, and you look at the back of the playoff grid now, and... Austin Dillon's all of a sudden in trouble when, you know, it looked like he was comfortably going to make the playoffs. And then Kurt Busch jumps in front of him by winning. And now Eric Almirola comes out of nowhere and wins the race. So everyone below the cut line besides Austin Dillon, who's in 17th, he's five points below with Tyler Reddick in the final spot. So it's going to be one of the RCR cars most likely. Kevin Harvick's not even safe anymore. He's only 82 points above but everyone else back Chris Buescher Matt DiBenedetto Ross Chastain they now must win I don't think I don't believe there's a chance they can get in on points crazy stuff other minor news uh, Kyle Larson has signed an extension through 2023 with HendrickCars.com being the primary sponsor through then good for Kyle Larson looks like he's probably going to be with Hendrick Long term, they also obviously want to keep Alex Bowman around. They've extended him this year, and Chase Elliott and William Byron are, are likely going to retire with Hendrick. So, Hendrick's looking healthy. Uh, good for Kyle Larson signing that extension. My winner of the week for motorsports got to be Eric Almirola. I, I you couldn't go with anyone but Eric Almirola. Insane that he would he he jumps from twenty seventh up to thirteenth in points with that win. Just great stuff. Good for him. Good for Stuart Haas Racing. You love to see it. For next week's winners, though, we will talk about the NHL draft, what we saw in the NHL expansion draft. Uh, we will have a moment to look back at our motorsports as most sports are off for the Olympics beginning next week. We'll break down the NBA championship that will be over by next Monday, and uh, I'm sure there will be much more. So that is going to be it for this one, everybody. If you liked it, tune in next week 
follow me on Twitter at TWW Sports to follow along with my sports consumption. I'm sure you'll like every bit of it as much as I do. I hope you all enjoyed, but until next week, keep winning.